Hi, I'm Dan Webster, film critic for Spokane Public Radio and blogger for Spokesman.com. And I'm Mary Pat Truthart, part-time film critic, full-time law professor at Gonzaga University School of Law. And I'm Nathan Weinbender, also a film critic for Spokane Public Radio. And welcome to Movies 101, that show that is quite capable of laughing at itself, even if we three do prefer to laugh with rather than at each other. Laughing is on our movie reviewing docket this week as we attempt to deconstruct the humor, such as it is, behind two recent film releases – First is Dream Scenario, which stars Nicolas Cage as a guy who finds himself in a situation that is at first funny, but gradually turns dark, though still to some viewers worth a smile or two. The second, Please Don't Destroy, The Treasure of Foggy Mountain, is the first feature film effort by a comedy team famous for providing some of the clever skits to Saturday Night Live. Let's begin by delving into the life of a college professor as he becomes the focus of the world's dreams. And I mean that literally. Dream Scenario, which was written and directed by the Norwegian filmmaker Christopher Borgli, focuses on Paul Matthews, played by Nicolas Cage, a middle-aged husband, father, and college professor who one day discovers that he is showing up more and more in people's dreams. Not just people who know him, such as his young daughter Sophie, played by the actress Lily Bird, and not even the students who are taking his class in evolutionary biology, but complete strangers as well. At first, this situation appeals to Paul's vanity. He is, after all, the kind of guy who is unassuming, conflict-averse, even, as one character describes him, boring. At the same time, though, Paul wants to be something more and is resentful of those he feels are stealing his ideas. Even so, he just hasn't been able to muster the effort to change his life. Until, that is, he becomes the focus of everyone's dreams. The fact that his representation in dreamland becomes frightening and even threatening turns his world upside down. And while Cage is good, uncommonly understated for the most part, Borgley's movie, despite its various references to cancel culture and exploitative advertising, is funny only unintentionally. And in the end, its vapid overall point wafts away like the fever dream it pretends to be. Naturally, some of us are going to come to this with a different perspective because it is satire about academe in so many respects. So it's not dream scenario is not like the chair, that sort of Netflix series that starred Sandra Oh, that you know was also about academe. But it does make these sort of really pointed statements about what this life is like and what it looks like from the scenes in the classroom to the Nicolas Cage character, Paul Matthews interactions with his dean who sort of goes back and forth between being sympathetic and wanting to support him, but then being, you know, a representative of the administration at the same time. And so he's trying to walk this line. We see the students who are just kind of ignoring this schlubby guy who's droning on and on at the front of the classroom until, of course, he, as Dan points out, enters a sphere that they can connect to, which is, you know, social media. And all of a sudden, he's everywhere and everything and so forth. And it's never explained why, but he's showing up in these people's dreams, which is the reason why. Yeah, and all these people that don't actually take his class are crowding into the room and he's going, all right, raise your hands. Who here has had a dream about me? (laughs) Right. So he's taking advantage of it. There were things about this that I did really like, but his relationship in dream scenario, for example, with his wife, 
wife, played by Julianne Nicholson, who you'll recognize from Law and Order, and she was in Mayor of East Town. Yeah, with the, the Kate Winslet. Uh, oh, yeah. Right, and so forth. Yeah. But she has, honestly, what might be the worst hairdo ever <laughs> seen, and I think that worst might be Nicholas Cage. That might be her real <laughs> yeah. hair. That's what I'm saying. So there are things about this story that don't hang together, and that's purposeful, I assume, because why would you make a film that does seem to have a vacuum of sorts at its core. But maybe that's the point. I don't know. I'm going to invoke a name that I'm surprised hasn't come up yet, Charlie Kaufman. I mean, I was thinking about Uh, Charlie Kaufman all the way through Dream Scenario, not least because Nicolas Cage is in his adaptation mode here. He's playing this kind of nebbish nerd, and I really like it when he does that because I think he does it so well. And I really admired the first half of Dream Scenario where it was just really swinging from broad, broad comedy to genuine horror. There are scenes Mm -hmm. in this movie that are actually really freaky. And and Um, totally cringeworthy. Yes. Oh, yeah. And the deep discomfort that Mm -hmm. that comes from some of his interactions after his newfound fame. But then I cannot recall the last movie that I saw where I liked the first half as much as I disliked the second half. Mm. I think this And movie, I thought it was more two-thirds, one-third. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah maybe okay. so. I mean, I think this movie just really goes off the rails. And it, when it reveals what it's actually up to, I thought, oh, really? That's what this was about? Because mm-hmm. it just becomes this really tired allegory about the price of notoriety and then eventually an even more tired allegory about as you said, cancel culture. When they uttered that phrase, I went, oh, no, here we go. And guess what? Surprise, surprise. It has nothing interesting to say about Mm -hmm. that. And it's not even a good one-to-one parallel. Like, it just doesn't track. And then on top of that, it posits that everyone in the world at some point, or most people in the world, of all persuasions and ages and everything, have had dreams about this guy. But then it just goes for really tired, lame jokes about how sensitive college kids are. Mm -hmm. And I I think maybe we're just at the point where we're so oversaturated with that kind of stuff that it just doesn't feel fresh anymore. And I just thought, going back to Charlie Kaufman, I thought, imagine Charlie Kaufman taking this premise and you yeah. can go anywhere with this yeah, premise, yeah. Yeah. Any, any direction. And yeah. that's what they chose to do. And, and they get just, somebody it, like Spike Jones to direct Absolutely. It. And I thought, imagine the third act yeah, of yeah. a Charlie Kaufman version of Dream mm-hmm. Scenario. And you have something truly wild and truly right. outrageous and, and truly satirical. And this isn't any And when Michael Sarah shows up, I'm like, okay, so now this is going to sort of take yeah. off. But, and then, that, but then that goes really nowhere. That's also and pretty then it, obvious, even and, though it comes earlier in the movie. Right. And then rather than deal with any of these things that have been brought up in some sort of clever way, they go, oh, now we'll bring in an entrepreneur who's going to somehow make money out of this whole thing. And it's oh, like, what is that stuff, about? All of the jokes about social media influencers and advertisers Advertising is, again, it just feels overdone. It feels very level one. And I was really, really disappointed. The first half of Dream Scenario, I was almost sitting forward in my Mm. chair going, where is this going next? And it was making me laugh. And it was making me, as you said, cringe. And I was loving what Cage was doing. And then it just kind of crumbles away. And I, I have to say, I, I was I, really bummed about I it. Had, I have to say, I like what Cage did all the way through. Yeah. I mean, he's the only thing that even at the end, there's a feeling of despondency yes. and just frustration. He's and great. Not desperation, but so much it's like, oh, I knew my life was going to turn out like this. Why? Why? Yeah. Why? You know, and, and Cage was really good at that. Yeah. And I also think that he is kind of the thing that did keep me going where, you know, I don't 
hate dream scenario. I'm just disappointed and I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. But I do think that Cage is the thing that holds it all together. And I really like when he takes a chance on a script like this yeah, and yeah. plays a role because like he makes because he three doesn't movies do it all the a year. Time. Yeah. yeah, right. yeah. He's, he's busy a lot. And yeah. yeah, I thought he was really good at this. I think we need to emphasize because we've been criticized in the past, or at least I have been for not pointing out violence. And there are a couple of scenes in this film that are very violent and come out of nowhere. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, I don't know that they necessarily come out of nowhere. It's once they happen, you go, oh, and of course, this is where that well, was going. And, and they're really effective. They're yes. really creepy and unsettling. I will mm-hmm. give them credit well, for that. Well, and the dreams that people are having initially are somewhat innocuous. And yeah, because he's just an observer. He's or a cipher. He's just right. standing That's one of and the funniest then, jokes. Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Like in everyone's dream, but he's not doing anything for right. most and of And people time. point it out because then he'll say, when he's asking people, so tell me more about your dream. Yeah. And it's the same recurring theme. And then you just sort of walk through or you were just sort of staring. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Even if people are there. being threatened by something, he's not helping which at is, all. Which is a great joke because this guy finally has this notoriety he's been mm-hmm. seeking. And what is he famous for? Doing nothing, essentially. Yeah. Like, that's a good gag that I yeah. think the movie pulls off yeah, really yeah. well. I also like the scene early on where he, he meets with uh, the woman who is taking supposedly his original ideas and is going to become famous. But she's going to get a book out of it. And he first, you know. She's a competing academic exactly. scientist. He's, he's going to confront her and everything, you know. Fam- and you then, should say famous in quotes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> famous to a certain group of people. Right, right. And he, he approaches her, you know, and they're sitting there. And he, just like a little kid, you know, is going, you need to do this. Yeah. And then, you know, he's angry. And then it's like, please, this means something. It's like, oh, man, you're so pathetic. But then afterwards, he can't even admit to his wife that he did it. Oh, yeah, it went okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, again, like that's something that you would see in a Charlie Kaufman movie because all of his protagonists are in this state of arrested male adolescence. And so, yeah, there's a lot of really good stuff in this movie, but it was not a dream I was happy to have uh, woken up from. I agree. Or was it I rather would have not had? I don't know. <laughs> that metaphor didn't work. <laughs> Just kind of right. like the movie. That's right. That's your dream speaking yeah, there, yeah. buddy. And that was our discussion of dream scenario. The Nicolas Cage movie directed by Christopher Borgley. This is Movies 101. It's time to take a short break. Before we go, remember that you can access podcasts of Movies 101 by going online at SpokanePublicRadio.org. While there, check out the individual reviews that Nathan and I write. Don't do it now, though, because we'll be right back to talk about Please Don't Destroy the Treasure of Foggy Mountain. You're listening to Movies 101 on Spokane Public Radio. Wherever life takes you, take Spokane Public Radio with you. You can stream your favorite public radio station on your smartphone, computer, smart speaker, or any mobile device. Visit SpokanePublicRadio.org and click Listen Live. Pick KPBX, KSFC, or KPBZ and start listening. Or just ask your Amazon Echo or Google Home smart speaker to play Spokane Public Radio. Listen live to Spokane Public Radio at work, home, or wherever you go. And we're back. This is Movies 101, and I'm your host, Dan Webster. During the first half of the show, Mary Pat Truthart, Nathan Weinbender, and I discussed the Nicolas Cage starring film Dream Scenario. Let's now move to a comedy of a different sort that offered up in a film featuring a trio of young comics. 
Well known to fans of Saturday Night Live, the three guys who make up the comedy act Please Don't Destroy, Ben Marshall, John Higgins, and Martin Hurley, have been together since their college days at New York University. And since 2021, they've been writers on Saturday Night Live. Now they're starring in their first feature film, Please Don't Destroy the Treasure of Foggy Mountain, which they wrote and was directed by Paul Briganti. A hodgepodge mix of the trio's usual jokes, mostly based around their self-adopted air of cluelessness and faux self-confidence, and a plot built on farcical adventure, Treasure of Foggy Mountain has the boys, or at least two of them, taking a stab at adulthood while trying to snare a $100 million bust of Marie Antoinette. The jokes come fast and furious and sometimes even rise to the level of the skits the team creates for SNL. But enough works anyway to make some of us think that maybe they might have a future, at least more of a future than any number of other SNL alumni that we could name and probably will. Yeah, I mean, it's one thing to come up with a really funny two and a half, three minute short or Which sketch. Which Saturday Night Live uh, has trouble anyway. I mean, that's true. I don't know about come that. Oh, well, SNL's success rate has always been about 50 50 since I, the very beginning. I think that that's good. That's well, yeah, batting I mean, 500. It, it, I'm well, just it's saying. Lauren Michaels yeah. always says they go live not because they're ready, but because it's Saturday night. And there we go. Uh, you know, whether or not they're at 100. But I've really liked some of the shorts that the Please Don't Destroy guys have made. They're obviously indebted to the Lonely Island. They have that same kind of <laughs> rapid fire, lots of quick edits, weird musical numbers from out of nowhere. But they're just three engaging characters also. Yeah, and you could argue that they're all, I've seen some people say, well, they're basically just three variations on the same comic persona. And it is kind of true. But I do find them engaging. And I think the fact that they're actual friends that were just kind of making these shorts on their own, you know, in their apartment or whatever, kind of gives them an endearing quality. And that does extend to their movie, which I have to say, watching The Treasure of Foggy Mountain, it's very clear that not only are they indebted to The Lonely Island, but you can just tell these were kids that were raised on, you know, internet comedy and memes and YouTube videos. So it has that sort of feel to it. Just for clarification, Nathan, explain to people what The Lonely Island is. Oh, they were uh, also a comedy trio that were first writers and performers eventually on Saturday Night Live. Andy Samberg is the most famous member, but they've done a lot of really popular musical, mostly sketches on SNL. They did their SNL digital shorts back in the day. And so they're kind of, please don't destroy, sort of carrying on the mantle of the Lonely Island. But I have to say that watching it, the movie that is, their feature film, I kind of found myself warming towards it as it went on. For about the first, I don't know, half hour, I probably laughed maybe once, maybe twice. They're not really very good at coming up with sort of like comic set pieces. It's mostly in the kind of rat-a-tat interplay between them where they'll throw off a really funny reference that would make me laugh. But then once it kind of got into, I mean, the plot is stupid and disposable and involves a cult in the mountains. I really liked Bowen Yang as the cult leader. I thought he was really funny. (laughs) But, you know, it's just these three guys that got a pretty big check to make a feature film and seem to be having a good time making it. It made me flash back to when me and my friends used to make when we were teenagers. Yes, we remember. Yes, dumb little short films like In My Parents' Backyard. And it kind of has that feel to it, but just on a bigger budget. I mean, uh, they got Conan O'Brien to to be in here. You were the Island? What, what were you? <laughs> yes, exactly. Dopey. Uh, the Dopey, Dopey Island. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so I mean, this is whatever. It's, I think your mileage is going to vary on this one. I thought it was occasionally funny, mostly not that funny, but I like the three guys and I think they have, you know, 
actual yeah, chemistry. I really like them too. Yeah. I'm, I also appreciated in this movie that they use their real names, you know, which are for 21st century humans, John, Martin, and Ben. Yeah, yeah. Pretty straightforward <laughs> yeah. kind of names. And Nathan, we've talked so many times about comedy, but I think this is one of those things that if you see it in a group, because it's streaming. And so we saw it over Thanksgiving with mm. our New York family. So people varied in age from 12 to uh, 76, I guess. So we <laughs> I got a, that would a be. <laughs> wide swath of multi-generational yeah. input to this particular film, Please Don't Destroy. And honestly, we laughed a lot throughout. And It's for better me, to see it in a crowd. You know? Yeah, because I watched laughing it by myself. Maybe that was the yeah, no, yeah. seriously. It's yeah. definitely something that maybe you want to have a couple drinky poos, not for the 12-year-old, yeah. but and watch it because I do think that there was enough going on that you could laugh and you could laugh at yourself laughing at the movie. I can't believe I laughed right. at something exactly. so yeah. Exactly. And, and also, if you're not going to laugh at this one, two seconds or three seconds later, something else is going to happen. So the jokes, as I said, they come fast and furious. Yeah. And again, going back to what I said about the Please Don't Destroy movie, once I kind of got into the rhythm of it, I sort of became a little more sympathetic to what they were trying to do. Mm. And in particular, there's sort of a almost an epilogue near the end where it jumps forward two weeks, but it feels like it's been years. And that whole section I thought was maybe the funniest of the mm-hmm. movie. That, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That's right, what really right. got and, me. And part of, of course, the, it's right before the movie ends. So. And part of the problem is the fact that we get to know these three guys, but in a really specific context. So, for example, the Ben character, I mean, he's always trying to impress his dad, played by Conan O'Brien, who owns this Trout Plus store. Which Conan for those is good of us in, in the Pacific yeah. Northwest, Mountain West, that in and of itself was kind of funny, yeah, that was... whole theme. I think that... The... Imagine, imagine a, movie, a sitcom in Cabela's, yeah. Right, uh, exactly. Yeah. And so Martin... He has this girlfriend, and we know that he had this earlier persona that she's unaware of. And so now he's trying to pretend to be this conservative sort of evangelical Christian because that's what she wants and values and so forth. I thought the character who was probably, and you can disagree with this, the most thinly drawn was John because the only sort of recurring theme with him is the fact that maybe he doesn't have a girlfriend, hasn't had a girlfriend or something along those lines. So I think maybe developing that whole aspect of this film a little bit more in terms of their backstories and their relationships with one another might have been yeah. a good thing. An but added bonus. bonus. Hard to say. Yes. Right. Oh, yeah. okay. Where do we think that Please Don't Destroy the Treasure of Foggy Mountain ranks on the in the realm of other Saturday Night Live Spin-offs? acts? That, yeah, that have mm-hmm. gone into big screen. I mean, I think for me, we might disagree with this, but I think the best of them all was Wayne's World. I totally The agree. original yeah, Wayne's I totally World. Agree. You can't do much better than Mike Myers and Dana Carvey. Well, and I also feel like I actually like Wayne's World 2 as well, although it doesn't have the kind of jolt of originality that the first one does. But I think Wayne's World as a movie also just kind of captures in the best possible way, like this is how you adapt a sketch mm. to feature length. Like right. it's such a smart conceit, this idea that this public access show is finally going to get a bigger audience and you're kind of playing around with the idea of expanding something smaller mm. into something bigger, you know, and and you have all the jokes about product placement in that movie, yes. right? Right. Yeah, so I totally agree. Well, I think and that's of course, the I I would shout out the Blues Brothers. I know that that's not a favorite of Dan's, but when you compare no. it to some other things, such but it's as, a real popular one, right? I like the Blues Brothers. Yeah. The, the Coneheads. 
Uh, Maybe not as much. You know, it's Pat, our own Julia Sweeney. Well, but, um, okay, like, I think part of the thing here is that you look at the character of Pat, you look at the characters of the Coneheads, right. and they don't really have or, much or Stuart going. Stuart Smalley. Yeah, they don't have much going on beyond the single joke of the sketches. The characters of Wayne's world, there was a world beyond that basement that you yeah. could sense was there, and the fact that the movie was right. able to take those characters and not just do the, I mean, they have all the catchphrases, right? Right. But it's not just doing the one joke joke from the sketches it's actually yeah. building out a world and giving them like you said giving them personalities and a genuine relationship there that you kind of care about by the end of well and, world. and then you think oh gee how did some people make the jump you know we all, always talk about this from the small screen to the big screen and then if you look at these particular characters i mean there was always a problem trying to figure out what to do with martin short's various characters mm-hmm. and then who would have expected or suspected that he would have this break Breakout role many years later in Only Murders in yeah. the Building. I mean, so. With I mean, Steve Martin, let's. Right, let's so maybe we are selling people short too uh-huh. early. But or also, what else short. has Dana Carvey done? I mean, you know, he's done a lot of stand up and everything, but he was great as. Uh, what's his character? Well, he did like the church lady. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, uh, when and he's in Wayne's World, of course. Right, um, that's what I meant. Well, and I also, we talked about the Lonely Island a little bit earlier. I think. What the Lonely Island guys did with the two movies they've made now, they made Hot Rod and then they made Pop Star Never Stop, Never Stopping, which is one of the great titles (laughs) of recent years. I think both of those movies have really high points. But what I like about those films is that they're not necessarily taking a sketch that was, you know, Mm -hmm. a recurring thing on SNL, but they're taking their aesthetic that was popularized Mm -hmm. on SNL and they're doing kind of surreal, singular things with them. Mm -hmm. So I think that's what you have to do if you're going to break out from the confines of a three-minute sketch. And I think maybe the second time the Please Don't Destroy guys make a movie, maybe they'll hit their stride. I think the capacity for a second movie. Yeah. Don't you think? Yeah, I think so. I do. Yeah. Other than a weekend update, there, to me, are the best part of every Saturday Night Live. At any rate, that was our discussion of Please Don't Destroy the Treasure of Foggy Mountain. And this is Movies 101. I'm Dan Webster. And earlier in the show, Nathan Weinbender, Mary Pat Truthart, and I discussed Dream Scenario. Let's take this moment to thank Cassie Fox for both producing and engineering the show. And we thank you to our loyal listeners. We invite you back next week, same time, same spot on the radio dial. And we'll again check out all the best that cinema has to offer wherever we can find it. Until then, consider these words from that master of children's literature, Dr. Seuss. You know you're in love when you can't fall asleep because reality is finally better than your dreams. You're listening to Movies 101 on Spokane Public Radio. The Movies 101 podcast is made possible by the members of Spokane Public Radio. Become a member at spokanepublicradio.org. Thanks for listening to Movies 101.